The portion of God's word for our evening sermon is taken from the gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 20 this evening. The word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here endeth the sermon lesson for this evening. Please keep your place here, as this will be the primary portion of God's word our evening sermon. And so, it is Christmas. It is a wonderfully joyful time of year with the music and the decorations, and most of all, with that special focus on celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet because we live in a broken and fallen world, this joyful season continues to have its own share of sorrows. Some of those sorrows are deep and profound. There is cancer. There is living with the reality of ruptured and strained relationships. There are also those stresses that 
in one sense, are really not that dramatic, but they still weigh on us. In the last couple of years have been years of significant inflation in our country that have really stressed the family budget. Uh, those pressures seem to be easing right now, but when I walk out of the supermarket, I still feel like I've bought four or five bags of groceries when I've only bought three. And those things can become particularly stressful if you're just barely making ends meet week after week. And I say nothing at all about those young people who are trying to buy their very first home. Well, tonight, I have some fantastic news for you. There is a small company in Singapore that is going to give a 15% raise to every single one of their employees next year. Isn't that fantastic? You don't seem that encouraged. Uh, let me change the scenario a bit. Um, let's go take a cruise together. Uh, imagine that this entire church is taking a cruise in the North Atlantic, and it's a beautiful ship. And some of us are eating a bit too much, and we're enjoying each other's company, and we're watching our wonderful children play out there on the deck. And then there's an enormous explosion, and the water starts gushing into the ship, and you realize immediately that there is no hope of us surviving for more than a couple of minutes in the ice-cold waters of the North Atlantic. Well, don't panic yet. The captain comes over the loudspeakers and he says, fear not. We have prepared for this very moment. I have good news for you. There is a heated, covered lifeboat in the stern of the ship and there is room there for every single one of you who made more than a million dollars last year. If you made more than a million dollars last year, head to the stern of the ship. You will be saved, and you will be saved in comfort. Actually, a couple of you look uh, encouraged by that. Um, let, let me say, congratulations, you are doing really well. But I suspect that you're actually finding comfort for your affluent neighbors and not for yourself. See, see rather than getting comfort from that sort of news, it's sort of like rubbing salt in the wounds. There's a disaster that we've experienced. There's a way of deliverance from that disaster, but that way is not available to people like you and like me. The truth be told, the Roman Empire was a great deal like that, as were all subsequent empires throughout history. There are benefits to empire, right? The Roman Empire actually did bring good news to some people, but those benefits were not evenly distributed to all. All we need to recognize to see that is to consider Joseph and Mary. Augustus Caesar, the greatest man of his day, snaps his finger, and although Mary is eight months pregnant, they need to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and the sole purpose of this is so that Caesar can make sure that he's squeezing every shekel of tax dollars out of every single person he can for his own benefit. The blessings of empire were not distributed evenly to everyone. And yet, for those with eyes to see, the good news is already beginning to shine. 
Hundreds of years earlier, Micah had prophesied that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Well, we have a problem. Mary is in Nazareth. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And she's already quite a ways along in her pregnancy. But Almighty God snaps his fingers, not Augustus Caesar. Caesar issues a decree, and Caesar moves Mary precisely where she needs to be so that all the prophecies will be fulfilled. The first piece of good news that we need to hear about Christmas is this. For all his pomp and apparent power, Augustus Caesar... And the Caesars of our own day, whether it's President Putin or President Biden or Chairman Xi, they are not in charge. Not a single thing can happen in your life apart from the will of your Father who is in heaven. Caesar is not in charge. Almighty God is in charge. And nothing ever happens in your life apart from his sovereign care. Now, Augustus liked to fancy himself as Savior and Lord. In fact, you know, the Caesars sent out announcements whenever they won a battle, or one of their great generals won a battle, they sent out announcements that said, good news! Right? Good news! Caesar has been triumphant over your enemies. And actually, whenever they had a male child born into the family, they sent out a note, good news! The future emperor has been born. Uh, that word they use for good news is actually the very same word we use for gospel. The very same word. And in fact, the Augustus Caesar liked to fancy himself not only as the emperor of the world, but as savior and lord of the world. He printed that right on coins with his own image. Corios Kaisoter, lord and savior. Now, we rightly reserve those titles for Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ alone. But Augustus was not a humble man by nature. He put himself forward and declared, I am the world's Lord and Savior. But as we consider the true Lord and Savior coming into the world, we realize that Augustus Caesar was just a parody of the real thing. See, when those messages of good news went out throughout the empire, they were actually only good news for a very small number of people. I mean, it really didn't benefit you in Judea that Caesar had a male son. It didn't benefit you at all. It only mattered if you were part of the movers and shakers of this world. It was good news for you. But tonight we see that the kingdom of God was not like that. Not only was the kingdom of God not like that, the kingdom of God is not like that. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, he announced, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just for the movers and shakers, but for everyone. This is not just good news for someone else, this is good news for you. Now, as we're going to see in a moment, while the news is itself objectively good to everybody, it is only ultimately good to those who receive Jesus Christ. That is, it's not ultimate good news without exception, but it is ultimate good news without distinction. What do I mean by that? 
Ultimately, the birth of Jesus Christ is only good news for those who bow the knee and place their trust in Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus is not ultimate good news for those who reject him, who refuse to submit to him as their Savior and Lord, but it is good news for those who receive him from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every socioeconomic group, from every set of natural abilities. It is good news to everyone who embraces him as their Savior and Lord. For in Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. We see the beauty of this message in the fact that Almighty God announces it first not to those in Caesar's courts, but to shepherds. Although with that, we have a bit of a problem. Uh, most of you have not spent a lot of time hanging out with shepherds. If we think about shepherds around Christmas time, we're prone to think of shepherds in those fun pageants that churches and schools and so on put on. The problem is obvious. Uh, in the pageants, the shepherds are played by adorable children who are all freshly bathed. I mean, who could not love shepherds like that? But that is not the way that people saw shepherds in ancient Israel. Shepherds were despised in ancient Israel. Uh, if you want to get this picture right, you want to imagine that when the angels show up on the scene and they meet with the shepherds, at least one of the shepherds is taking a flask of wine and hiding it behind his back. I mean, at least that's the way they would have been perceived in their own day. The shepherds were among the lowest class of people in terms of their prestige in ancient Israel. Now you might think that can't possibly be true, because after all, wasn't David himself a shepherd before God raised him up to be king, the shepherd of his people? And yes, he was. But do you remember how his brothers thought of David? You know, one time uh, Eliab, his oldest brother, uh, greets David when David goes out to battle. You know, his father sends him out just to bring some supplies, provisions to his sons out in the battle lines. And this is when David will ultimately kill Goliath. But you know, his brothers don't say, oh, we are so glad you are here to deliver Israel. You are our deliverer. You are, from a human standpoint, our savior. No, that's not what they do. Eliab says to David, who did you leave those few sheep that you're watching? Right, while you came out here. You gotta hear the scorn in his voice. He's mocking David for being a shepherd, a shepherd of just a small number of sheep. Uh, see, shepherds were despised in the ancient world, and the reason why David had to take care of the sheep was he was the youngest son. He got the least desirable work. Shepherds were despised in Israel. Here's the key point. They were not despised by God. The Lord makes clear how his kingdom would be different from Caesar's by announcing the birth of his son first to shepherds as they watched their flocks by night. What exactly is this good news of great joy that shall be for all the people 
The angel of the Lord continues, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. Unto who? Unto the shepherds, the despised of his day. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, Jesus is born of Mary, but Jesus is not born only for Mary. Jesus is born for you. Right? As Isaiah would put it, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God sent his son into the world to rescue you. Beloved, is that good news for you? It is good news for you if you recognize that Jesus is the Savior that you need. But what kind of Savior is Jesus? See, Jesus was not a Savior who came to deliver Israel first and foremost from the Roman Empire. He was not a Savior who comes to deliver you from inflation. He's the Savior who comes to deliver his people from their sins. And therefore, if you imagine yourself to be a basically good person who just needs someone powerful to come and take your side, then this is not particularly good news for you. It is only good news if you recognize that your greatest need is not a strong person to take your side, but a pure savior to take away your sin. Let's step back and ask what sin is and why it is such an enormous problem for us uh, simple question, but rather profound. What is it that the Lord requires of you? Well, here's the answer. The Lord requires perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience. He requires you to offer up perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience with joy and faith to him. So ask yourself this question. How are you doing? Right? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Are you meeting the Lord's standard? Anything short of this is sin, and such sin deserves the unbridled wrath of a holy God. As the Bible tells us, the wages of sin is death. Please note, it does not say the wages of sin is dying, although that's true as well. But the wages of sin is death. That is being under the wrath of a holy God forever because of our rebellion against him. That is what our sins deserve. An eternity of receiving the wrath of a holy God, the wrath that rebels like you and like me deserve. Now think about God's requirement that you joyfully offer him personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. I asked you the question earlier, how are you doing? Let me suggest if you're not sure if you ask your wife or you ask your parents, but I think you all realize the honest answer is before all of our eyes. We're not doing very well. Uh, you know, our church on Sunday morning, we hold a public confession of sin every week. And we don't do it for the two or three people who happen to sin that week. And we don't just do it once a year. We do it every week. And I trust that you do it day by day in your own private prayers for the simple reason that day after day, even as Christians, 
We sin in thought, word, and deed. That, that is our nature in this world. By nature, you and I are objects of the righteous judgment of God. But the good news of this passage, the good news of Scripture is simply this. The Lord does not leave us to what we deserve. The good news is that God sent his son to live the life that you should have lived, to die the death that you should have died, so that he would welcome you into his family as his very own daughters and his very own sons forever. That's what it means for Jesus to be your savior. And this is closely related to the type of Lord that Jesus came to be. See, Caesar was the type of Lord who could snap his fingers and inconvenience people he doesn't know hundreds of miles away without any concern at all. But that's the type of Lord that Caesar was. Caesar lived in the lap of luxury while tax farmers squeezed the people for every shekel they could extract. Please notice this wasn't just an act of nature or the normal course of things. Caesar chose to live in the lap of luxury. Jesus Christ chose to be born in a manger. Caesar established a type of peace by killing all of his enemies, the Pax Romana. Jesus establishes eternal peace between you and God by dying for his enemies. By Christ's life and death, he has done more than simply put away the enmity that we naturally have with God. He has made us his friends. And more than friends, amazingly, he has made us his own brothers and sisters. That is grace, my beloved. And so the angel proclaimed, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then the angel continues, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Have you ever stopped to consider what a strange sign that is? I mean, you know, if you see a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, it actually doesn't tell you a great deal. Maybe it tells you the child's of poor parents or they're in an uncomfortable circumstance. But seeing any child wrapped in swaddling cloths just says, well, it's a child, it's a baby. What sort of sign is that? Well, it's not a sign that what God is telling the shepherds is true. They already had a sign of that. They were talking to an angel of the Lord. And in just a moment, the entire sky is going to light up with the glory of God. And they're going to hear the angels proclaim the glory of God. No, it's not a sign that what is being told to them is true, or even that it's from God. This is what the sign does. Once they understand that the child born in the manger is the king of kings and lord of lords, it's a sign that reveals what sort of king he is going to be that he is gentle and lowly of heart and humble by his very nature. So one scholar points out, if you try to point something out to a dog, the dog is as likely to watch your finger 
is they are to look at what you're pointing at. If you have dogs, I'm not insulting their intelligence. That's just the way that it is. Uh, it's frustrating, but it actually illustrates a natural mistake that we human beings make from time to time as well. It's a mistake that many people make when reading the Christmas story in Luke's gospel. What do people know in the broader culture about Jesus' birth? Well, everybody knows about the manger. Everyone knows about the swaddling cloths, but they're not the goal of the story. Jesus is. The manger and the swaddling cloths are merely signs that point to the nature of Jesus Christ in terms of his character towards his people. Luke actually mentions the swaddling cloths three times, but we ask why. If you want a sign that this message is from the Lord, as I say, the shepherds already had such a sign. They are talking to the angel of the Lord, and in a moment, the glory of God will shine all around them. But this sign will point to the type of king that Jesus would be. It is a sign that Jesus was the king who was meek and lowly of heart. It was a sign that Jesus did not come to hover over humanity but that he was God come in the flesh, fully identifying with us, taking to himself a true human nature. It was a sign that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. And let us remember that being born in a feeding trough was not the most profound example of Christ's humility. As I told you this, mo this morning, the same body that was wrapped in swaddling cloths would one day be wrapped in a burial shroud. The manger thus points us to the cross and to the grave, showing how we are saved through the humility of our Savior. As Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Son of God demonstrated the most profound humility that has ever been exhibited in all of history. In fact, given the very nature of Jesus being the Son of God, being the highest being, Choosing to take the lowest place of suffering wrath of the wrath of God in our place, it is not possible that anyone else could ever offer such a display of humility. And yet Christ's humiliation is not the end of the story. It's part of a sign. The Lord gave the shepherds a taste of the glory that is to come. The angel declared... And this will be a sign for you. 
You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And with that announcement, the whole sky lights up. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those upon whom his favor rests. Christ's birth, his life, and the entire plan of salvation is for your good, but it is not for your glory. It is for your good, but it is for the glory of God. Just as your chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, the angels rightly shout, not glory to shepherds, not glory to business people in the 21st century, but glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those upon whom his favor rests. The contrast between the glory of Augustus Caesar and the glory of Jesus Christ could hardly be any starker. The glory of Augustus depended upon impressing people with his power and his wisdom. You know, Augustus declared that his own adoptive father, Julius Caesar, was in fact a god. He got the Senate to decree that precisely so he could fancy himself son of a god. See what a pretender he is? We rightly and instinctively think that the title Son of God and the title Savior and Lord belong to Christ and to Christ alone. Yet Augustus applied them all to himself. As I say, he even struck coins with the title Corius Caesoter, Lord and Savior, imprinted upon them to make clear to everybody how exalted he was. Jesus said, that's not the way I'm doing it. I'm going to be born in a lowly estate, in a feeding trough. Now, truth be told, even as Christians, most of us tend to be more impressed with pomp and power than with genuine humility. Um, that was true in the first century as well. Think of the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth in his first letter. Paul writes, Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men." There is a time when Jesus will come again with great outward power and glory. At that time, all of his enemies, including all the great ones of this age, will call out to the mountains and the rocks, fall upon us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? There is a day coming like that, but be grateful. But that is not what Christ did at his first coming. He did not come to bring wrath upon his enemies. Jesus came to bear the wrath of God in our place. The aspect of God's gift, 
but the heavenly father the heavenly host focuses on is God's gift of peace in Jesus Christ a gift of peace he gives us by taking God's wrath in our place look once again at verse 14 with me verse 14 the angels shout glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God and peace to us. As sinners, we are by nature at war with God, a war that we cannot possibly win. Furthermore, we have nothing to offer God in an effort to win a true and lasting peace, but astonishingly, God himself steps in to establish peace by giving us his Son. We have already seen that while the good news is for everyone without distinction, it is not good news for everyone without exception. The coming of Jesus Christ is only good news for those who bow the knee and submit to him, those who place their trust in him and receive him as their very own Lord and Savior. As the angels make clear, this is not a personal achievement. I want to slow down just a moment, make sure you get that. Submitting to Jesus Christ, believing on Jesus Christ, is not a personal achievement. Sometimes people tell me, I don't have enough faith. Beloved, that is not what faith is. It's not something you work up. The, the reason why any of us trust in Jesus Christ is because his favor came first. God does not love you because you were intrinsically love you, lovable. God loves you because his divine favor rested upon you. His grace comes first. That's why we actually sing the most famous hymn in all of history. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Beloved, the good news this Christmas is not that Jesus came to save good people. He came to save sinners like me and like you. The thing that makes God's grace so amazing is that he showers it upon wretches. All you need to do is recognize that that's you and therefore to flee to him. The favor that the Lord shows you by giving you peace in Jesus Christ is by his grace alone from beginning to end. And yet... It is by far the most important gift that you can ever receive. Here's the question. How can you know right here, right now, that you are an object of God's favor, that in fact you have received this, this gift? Because the Lord is astonishingly kind, he does not make it hard. He does not make it difficult for us to figure out all that is necessary to know that you are the object of God's favor is for you to place your trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. Trust Jesus, and you are the object of God's eternal grace. What does that look like? Well, it actually looks exactly like the shepherds. They hear the good news, and so they come to Jesus to discover the truth of who he is. They rejoice at who Jesus is, and they go out glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to him, them. 
That's it. Discover the truth. Rejoice. Glorify God. Does that describe you? That's the question we all have to ask this evening. Does that describe you? Discover the truth. Rejoice. Glorify God. Have you come to Jesus and found that he is a Savior and Lord like no other? Have you bowed the knee so that by his grace you are seeking to live in accordance with his word? Are you excited that the Son of God was born in a manger to live the life that you should have lived and to die the death that you should have died so that you could be with God as his very own son or daughter forever? And are you glorifying and praising God by telling other people about the greatest news that has ever been told? If so, then God's favor in Christ rests upon you. And you can be sure of that. If not, why not commit yourself to him this very night? For you will never hear greater news than this. The message that the angel of the Lord has announced. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Merry Christmas. Amen.